the concept of the urban growth areas was initiated in the mid nineties. And so I think for the most part, there were areas identified as to where the county was going to grow. And my understanding is that the county wants to have another conversation about the, the areas that are designated for growth in the future. It's about time that we had that conversation again, because space has been used up. How the remaining space is going to be used will be an interesting conversation. There's always been and continues to be a very strong desire to maintain the agricultural feel of the community. And that revolves around the agricultural land, best non-irrigated farmland in the world, probably. That means keeping the land as well as the people who work the land so that farmers can work the land and still make a living. And that's always an ongoing challenge. And there's tension there to, to consider how future growth is going to impact those areas that are almost sacred at this point and are going to be areas that people want to see stay the same. My guest today, Ralph Hutchinson, or as he is also known by his friends, Hutch, is manager of East Lampeter Township in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I have known Ralph for many years and think of him as a quiet center in a place of tremendous change. When we think of Lancaster County, we think of horse and buggies, tourist attractions, beautiful farmland, history, the legacy of religious freedom, and maybe traffic. Today, we take an inside peek of what it looks like to manage a municipality that is situated in the heart of Lancaster County. Many national surveys point to Lancaster as an affordable and attractive place to live. It touts diverse culture and proximity to the East Coast, but also it is fast growing and sits at the juncture of important transportation routes. I don't think it is possible to overemphasize the importance of recognizing the signs of change and helping a board and community work through the natural tensions that occur when change is afoot. As Ralph says, there are two things people don't like, the way things are and change. He shares with us his philosophy and approach to managing a township that fully embraces two ends of a spectrum in culture and business. Ralph has been present through changes and events, some which have brought national attention. But as you will hear, and I know from personal experience, to interact with Ralph is to feel the calm center of management. What does he bring forward that helps the board and community navigate change while preserving trust and integrity in local government? Let's listen and find out. Ralph, maybe just to get started, today. I know most people know where Lancaster, Pennsylvania is, or maybe have visited, but could you give a sense of the boundaries and describe the township a little bit for the audience today? Sure. East Lampeter is located pretty much in the center of Lancaster County geographically, and we're adjacent to the city of Lancaster, which is the center, I suppose you'd say, where the most urbanized area is in the county. But the East Lampeter is made up of those quasi-urban portions as well as suburban development. And we still maintain large area of agriculture as well. It's a very diverse community in terms of land uses and the transportation system is likewise very diverse from the highway of Route 30 that goes through the township. Portions of it are for limited access highway and other portions are not all the way down to the local horse and buggy road that accommodates just local traffic and it's very narrow. Yeah, it's, it makes it makes it interesting. Yes, it does. And I think that is the crux of the conversation today, managing through the change that has taken place over the decades. You said there are two things people don't like, the way things are now and change. And this is something I take it you've had in your mind for time. Yeah, I heard that phrase somewhere along the line over the years, and that just seemed to fit our conversation that we were having about the community. And I think it's true. Those are things that people respond to and react to. But managers in particular, I think, are generally ones who are okay with change and, and usually are get involved with what they're doing because they want to make things better. And so that in order to do that, that means that you're doing something, which means you're creating change of some sort. You have to get 
comfortable with that reality. Yes. And sometimes the ideas that come forward, perhaps it's not possible to imagine what might come from those conversations in the way of reactions. And I'm sure that has been a learning curve for you, all the different aspects of the community, the, as you said, very diverse community. And I wonder if you as a manager over this period of time, and I think it's important to stay, say you've been at East Lampeter since the 90s. Is that right? The December of 91 is when I joined uh, East Lampeter. Yes. So your ability to sort of observe this arc of change is a very interesting piece of this conversation today. And so I wonder if you've come to understand this from a manager's perspective as just a natural state of affairs, that there's going to be tension that's a necessary part of evolution in the place. Yeah, that's right. In addition to what we do in local government, municipal government to initiate change, we also are involved in managing change that comes into the community introduced by whether it's, you know, PennDOT building something different or businesses that want to grow or businesses that want to locate in your community. So those are all things that are change that have to be managed in local government offices to some extent and by others as well. We're either initiating it or, or dealing with it as it comes at us. Yeah, it's just part of daily activity. Would you say that you've always been comfortable with this or would you say this is something that has been part of the learning curve for you as a manager? Oh, I'm, I'm sure I've definitely gotten better uh, with, with handling it. There's certainly been some individual challenges with change that have been difficult, but just the fact that it's changed hasn't really affected me, I don't think. One of the things that we're talking about this month and next in the community is the importance of relationships. Let me just, as a follow-up on what you just said, ask you if you view relationships as important. In other words, the ability to tolerate differences or tension around something that, that the township is going to do does that come from knowing where people are coming from? Yeah, without a doubt. And yeah, because I've been in East Lampeter for a long time, I've had contacts with many different people in the community. I can be fairly good at anticipating what an individual or a group of people might feel or way they might react. But even though that's true, and I do, I'm sure, try to anticipate those things, I also try to be pretty intentional about making sure that I don't assume too much and uh, always give people, individuals and groups, the opportunity to say exactly what they're thinking or how they're feeling about a particular thing. So that the chance for misunderstanding or, or guessing about the way something might go doesn't happen. You have to reach out. You have to be willing to be open to uh, listen to all those different perspectives and make sure that they're her, genuinely her, and then decide the best course of action after that. And of course, in, in my case, I can certainly advise our board and try to do the best I can about advising, but it, ultimately, in most of these things, it's their decision to make, yeah. trying to get them the best information and set up the opportunities for people to speak their minds. Those yeah. are all part of the way things have to work. Yeah. Yeah, this comes up in so many different ways, but here, as I listen to you, I'm thinking about trust as part of the process that by being predictable, you set up a way for people to have their voices heard in front of the board. If there's a concern that is received, that process and just this steadiness over time is part of trust building, which is also, I think, key to that acceptance. Perhaps over time, I'm going to speak my mind, may not like it, but you gave me a chance to express it. Yeah. And ultimately, if it's a decision at the administrative level that has to be made, you make that decision and you communicate it. And it may not be what people want to hear, but you have to be willing to step out there and communicate those things and handle the rest of it. And I think over time, I'm hopeful anyway, that over time, people do feel like they're coming to our office and that they can anticipate what's going to happen. And they can have a sense that it's reliable information. It's the way things ought to be handled. You could have very different opinions on the board, but when it comes to your position, you are 
trying to provide steadiness in terms of providing good information and not necessarily always saying exactly what the board is saying. They have a voice in terms of how the township would go forward, but your role is conveying how it's going to unfold. Sure. We deal with a lot of process things that we want to make sure to help the board that we don't misstep and in a process that in the future could create a problem for the township as a whole. The decision-making, of course, is mostly left to the board, but as far as making sure that we follow the right process and get to the endpoint that they want to get to in the right way, managers have a big role to play there. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. And I wonder if, again, going back to this area of relationships in your life, were there particular professional or personal influences that helped you to form your foundational beliefs and values about the profession or how you wanted to approach what is always a dynamic atmosphere? Yeah. Family, I think, is the first thing that comes to mind to to recognize had big influence on me, especially my late wife and, and my kids, I would say, really made me a better person, which made me a better manager. Professionally, I think I've been really lucky in, in having contact with a lot of really good managers. And one of the things about Lancaster County that, you know, has been true for me ever since I moved to Lancaster County, which was even before being at East Lampier, when I went to Millersville Borough, I found that the other managers in the county were very willing to be helpful and you could reach out to them and ask if they had confronted a particular thing in the past and how they handled it, or if they had particular advice and always willing to help. And that's been really good for me. And I hope I've reciprocated when I've had the opportunity as well. I would have to say the other big professional that I would recognize is Mike O'Keefe when he was in Homestown Borough. I interned for him when I was at Penn State, when he was in Homestown a long time ago, very long time ago. And he was always somebody that when I got my first job professionally, I leaned on him a lot and called him for suggestions and advice and counsel. And he was always there to help. And thankfully, I've been able to stay in touch with him over the years. And now that he's retired, he's moved here even closer here in Lancaster County. So I'd gone out to dinner with him a few times and we've stayed in touch. So that's been a really good professional relationship for me. Yes. I remember that. He talked about you a lot. And it's another thing we have in common that's so interesting because when I moved to Pennsylvania, I was, I think I met Mike at a conference and I went back to Harrisburg. The firm I was working with had an office on State Street. And one day he just showed up. <laughs> he said, I figured you might need somebody to show you around. <laughs> so I took him up on it and he was really the first person to reach out to me, one of the first managers, other than George Marchinko, who was also really great. He was the first client. But but Mike was, over the years, always just invaluable source of calm, wisdom, and and just a caring person. And yeah, he still is. That's so wonderful to hear you mention him. Yeah, these, these interviews are very important to me just to think about how managers develop their muscle. And so I did learn, too, that you studied government law at Lafayette College, which is in, is that Lehigh County? Eastern Pennsylvania, yeah. Yeah, Eastern Pennsylvania. And you earned your MPA from Penn State. And there was a number of managers that I think came to the Central Pennsylvania area after studying in that program, which was just a great asset for the area. But also your early life was really shaped from parts yonder. So you would have come into Lancaster County with some fresh eyes. And I want to hear about some of your early impressions and maybe you can give us a sense of the overall change that has occurred since you first came. Yeah, we moved We moved in uh, 1985 into Lancaster County. And when I became borough manager in Millersville Borough, Millersville is a college town and that community is pretty much dominated by university activity, pretty much a residential community. And I had my first job before then was Fountain Hill, Lehigh County. So I was still very young and not really well-seasoned in the role, but came to Millersville very excited and appreciative of the opportunity to be there and had a young family. And a lot of the things that we were doing were focused on 
family and growing the family at that point in time. But professionally looking at Lancaster County, it was, was not as developed as it is now. I would say that for the most part, the development activity that's happened has been close by to what was developed at that point in time. The concept of the urban growth areas was initiated in the mid nineties. And so I think for the most part, there were areas identified as to where the county was going to grow. And my understanding is that the county wants to have another conversation about the, the areas that are designated for growth in the future. It's about time that we had that conversation again, because space has been used up. How the remaining space is going to be used will be an interesting conversation. There's always been and continues to be a very strong desire to maintain the agricultural feel of the community. And that revolves around the agricultural land, best non-irrigated farmland in the world, probably. That means keeping the land as well as the people who work the land so that farmers can work the land and still make a living. And that's always an ongoing challenge. And there's tension there to, to consider how future growth is going to impact those areas that are almost sacred at this point and are going to be areas that people want to see stay the same. It's definitely changed. There's the growth, not only in the changes in land use, but the growth in population has brought a diversity as well, which I think is great. It's, it's a, I think it's a sign of a healthy community that diversity can bring some challenges, but I think those are things that are where there are adjustments that are needed and there are good adjustments. That's always felt a positive thing to me. There's so much in what you said that I want to comment on, but first of all, I could put a dozen links in the show notes of you know, Lancaster getting rave reviews about all of these you know, best cost of living, the fact that it's so near the East Coast, but still affordable. It's diversity. It's some of, as you mentioned, the best agricultural land in the country. There's so many aspects to this area that the shopping malls must have been there when you began working, but they had to have been pretty new. Yeah. When I came to East Lane, Peter, Rockville Square, as it was called at that point in time, was there, but not as big as it is today in terms of the number and number of buildings anyway. There, where Tanger is, it was at that point in time, it was called Outlet City. And it was the, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, it was smaller and not doing very well. Early on, when I had come to East Lane, Peter, the complete redevelopment of Outlet City was uh, proposed and planned and executed and made a huge difference there. Initially, it wasn't Tanger. It was, there was another developer that put it together and then ended up selling it to Tanger and Tanger continued to have success there. So then eventually, which is now probably, uh, I lose track of time now, but it's probably eight or 10 years now, they expanded rather significantly onto adjacent lands as well and grew Tanger into what it looks like today. And then unfortunately, Rockvale had been a declining property and had continued to be with the competition and has more recently had a lot of vacancy and is now having a redevelopment proposal coming through the township for approval, which is going to change the property into a, into a more of a uses a different style, different types of use by introducing residential there, which hasn't been the case. I think that's exciting for us to, to go through that and to try to set the framework for making that work, both for the community as well as for the developer, because we want that property to be vital again and productive. We're looking forward to that process. Yep. And we'll come back to that just a little bit later when you talk about some of the projects coming down the pike in the future that you have some plans in place for. But I want to also ask you, based on what you were saying, again, describing this, all of the changes that have taken place, and I'm thinking about the tourism industry, the agricultural industry, and I have to think that there's a high importance of affordable housing as well. And I wonder if that conversation comes up in your township or other townships around that, that you could comment on. Very much with respect to affordable housing in particular. Yes. Yeah, we've been having that conversation very recently quite a bit and have just initiated a request for proposals to do a complete housing plan, housing study and housing plan for the township. So it's, it's definitely an active topic for us. Tourism in East Lane Peter is really big. We've got 
I'm not sure what the percentage is. We've got a whole lot of hotel rooms in East Lampeter where people stay when they come to visit. The Amish community is still very much a draw uh, to Lancaster County and to East Lampeter in particular. Yeah, we're very much involved in trying to keep that that industry going and, and active. The pandemic really hurt the tourism industry quite a bit in the last few years. So it's been coming back and that's good. And the outlets have been part of that as well. But I think there are other things. Dutch Wonderland, of course, is a fixture for many people. And that's in East Lane Peters. We have those attractions, American Music Theater, another big attraction in the community. Yeah. Agriculture, again, the Amish community attached to agriculture. That's part of the draw as well. People driving into the community, driving through the ag areas to get to us. Yeah. All of that's very much on our minds a lot. It's unique. And I think of it now in particular because as roads and transportation improves and people, I think, that are commuting to Philadelphia more, maybe the pandemic has changed some of that. We have studies that there are, but actually it could increase because in the sense that if people only, if they're working hybrid, maybe they can now move to a more affordable place. And I'm just imagining here, but I have to think that Lancaster is going to have to be intentional about keeping that balance, that the market rates could go up and it could lose the very thing that makes it so rich. And as you mentioned, the diversity and the ability to have these different industries and that people can work and live in the same area, which is so coveted. We struggle with that in Hershey, just down the road here. And there is, it's a real concern for the industries here, the hospital and the entertainment industry to have affordable housing. So I know it's very real. Without a doubt. Yeah. Now, we had a chance to talk about some of the other challenges that has come up just that have shaped the township. And I wanted to see if I could just get you to talk a little bit more about your experiences where non-residential developments came in that were also opposed by residents, where you really had to negotiate to resolve these issues. And this hits on the zoning issues, which anyone that's not close to local government has, even those working with local government like myself have difficulty understanding zoning. So I can imagine when a challenge comes in, if you could give us a, maybe an example, and I think you and I talked about the Walmart. Yeah, that, that's definitely the example that I think of first. Well, that was back in the mid nineties. And at the time anyway, there weren't any Walmarts in Lancaster County anywhere. So the one that was proposed in East Lampeter was proposed as the first one to be developed. And the property where it was to be developed was a tourist attraction. It was, I think it was called the Amish Farm and House. And there were, it was that kind of attraction where people would come in. There was a significant amount of traffic related to it. People would come in there and walk around the grounds and get a flavor for Amish living in that experience. But it wasn't surrounded by development already. The East Town Mall was immediately west of it. And I'm sorry, immediately east of it. And there was other development around the property. So it wasn't a farm out in the middle of farmland. But the reaction, I think, to that project was just the name that was going to be on the building. It was just that it was a Walmart and there was some negative connotation to that for a lot of people. And the property as it was zoned at the time was zoned for retail use. And we knew when it was being proposed that there wasn't really a way to easily say no. I'm not even sure there was a hard way to say no. It was, it was zoned for it and there wasn't anything that I saw where they wouldn't be able to design the development in a way that it would meet the requirements of our ordinances. Going into that, we had to recognize that this was likely, very likely to become a reality and that we needed to do the best we could to address the kinds of development issues that come up with any development as best we could. Again, it took a lot of listening. There were a lot of meetings, a lot of opportunity for people to express their concerns, concern that Walmart was a, a business model that they didn't like or didn't have corporate culture that matched Lancaster County. Those weren't, those aren't things that are in local ordinances. It was hard. And I'm imagining that you had an audience at meetings that maybe were more agitated than you normally had. So you had a different level. And I'm imagining, because I remember hearing about it, you had press 
It was oh, being yeah. covered nationally, as I recall. It's a, the, the idea of a Walmart coming to an Amish community was just like too much to bear at that time. Definitely. Yeah, there was all of that. And ultimately, I think we did the best we could to manage all of that. And the people were heard and explanations were given as best we could. But ultimately, it was developed and it's there. It's been operating ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And it's become part of the American landscape for better or for worse. And we, we do evolve. And I, I want to just bring up to just a little bit, we don't have to go into depth in this, but just to understand as well, that crime also changed for you over this time because of the, the enormity of the shopping experience. And I don't, you might be able to be more specific than me, but my recollection, and this has been a few years, this is before you heard on the news about those flash mobs that would come to the, like, pull up in a van and jump out and rob and then get back in the van and run away. I don't know if it would be described just like that. But what I heard your police telling me when I was interviewing them and some work we were doing together was that there was this sort of spree-like effect where there would be crime at the these large box stores. And then they were coming to the township and saying, now, what are you going to do about this? And I think that required some negotiation, as I recall. Wait a minute. <laughs> we can't just be your personal police force here. Is that? Yeah, that's accurate. And that really was with Walmart for the most part. We've had other, I guess what you'd call big box developments that never had the same kind of impact in that regard as Walmart did. So we did have to work through that issue with Walmart. Ultimately, the board ended up adopting an ordinance that kind of wasn't called the Walmart ordinance, but it certainly was developed in response to what we were dealing with there. And I think it motivated them to have to handle some of their, what do they call it, leakage or losses, inventory losses in a different way than just calling the police department. So we're still over there when it's absolutely needed, but for the most part, they're handling their loss control themselves now. Yeah. And I could go down a whole nother path, but I'm not going to do that today because I'm not asking you to be the chief of police. That's probably a conversation with the chief of changing relationships over time with the policing community. Yeah. Policing has changed a lot since I've been a manager. Yeah. And again, this going back to just the diversity of your community, your township, just the whole region, think that it can be a challenge to articulate the values that you wish for the organization or that the board wishes to convey. And I want to talk a little bit about your role in helping to articulate and keep that in frame because your board members change. So there's that sort of need to make sure that the people understand coming on board what this is about. Your employees change, your residents change. So there, there must be something to managing that helps to convey over time central values that guide the community. Can you talk a little bit about your role there? Yeah, I think it's really key because we're still, we're not a huge organization. We've certainly grown since I've been there along with the community. We're somewhere around 70 employees. And even when it was 40 employees years ago, the manager can't make every decision that needs to get made during a day, the police are out there, the public works folks are out there, the front desk people are there, the zoning officers dealing with permits, so there are decisions getting made all the time. But we rely on these in practice to guide all of those decisions as best we can. So everybody in the organization really needs to understand what the values are. I think I said to you when we were meeting, and I forget where I learned this too, but Walt Disney said, decisions are easy when values are clear to try to make decisions easier, you, you establish what the values are and you make them clear to everybody. And it makes it easier for everybody to make decisions on how to provide service to the community in a way that fits those values. It's really key. That's wonderful. And it's a matter of keeping this a focus of conversations, not necessarily that it's some plaque you put up somewhere, but that it gets made to be a part of your conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's got it. Yeah. There's no magic plaque or words that you can put up on a wall that, that sort of imbue all of that in everybody. So you have to live it every day and put all, it applies to everybody as long as it's clear to 
everybody in the organization that there are different things for different people and that it's applied consistently. And when there are questions about a new situation or a new encounter of some sort, you have to give them thought and think about how does that fit in with our values and make the best decision you can from there. So it, it definitely is something that comes up regularly. I would imagine any manager has to be very adept at answering the question, why? And I think from my own perspective, coming through the, my profession, I was always encountering situations where I did not understand exactly the why of local government. And it's been an ever-expanding learning experience. So I can imagine new employees coming into the organization. They wonder, why do we have to do it this way? Why can't we just do this other thing that seems so obvious to us? Maybe there's an example that you could give from the, with employees in particular. Residents, I'm sure, too. But employees. Oh, yeah. No, it, it happens throughout. So yeah, the why is important. I've always thought of, I'm trying to think of an example, but I've always thought of explaining something as when you're sailing a boat, if you're sailing out to a, an island and you go straight ahead at an island, at some point in time, the island blocks the wind, the boat keep going. So you have to tack around to stay, to keep the wind in your sails and you end up getting to the island eventually. You have to be able to explain to somebody, why aren't we just going straight? Right, we're the going island. straight. No, you're going to go around to, to get there. It's a better way to go. So you have to be able to explain that. And yeah. that can be hard. I think, I think of situations where we're working for the public and it's different to private enterprise in this regard, because if, if you want to do something that affects the bottom line of a private entity, there's somebody in that private entity that can say, yeah, that's okay. I don't mind that being done. But when you're all working for the public, it's more of, we're not in this for any personal gain. So we can't use our roles and our positions for any sort of personal gain because that you're taking something from the public. Everybody, there's no way to get permission for that. There are those situations that come up. I think the one that we talked about was an example where a public works crew is out clearing brush or clearing trees and there's good firewood that comes out of that. And somebody says, hey, can I throw this in a pickup truck and take it home and burn it in my house? And it's like, no, that belongs to the property owner or the public, depending on the situation. We can't, yeah. we can't benefit by that just because of where we happen to work. That's a good example. It can be, and I don't mean to pick on public works because, you know, probably a small thing. But. So yeah, firewood can be personal. I just want to say I've yeah. seen situations where that can, you can get some uh, some arguments over, over firewood. But one, I think of a manager, I remember doing an ethics policy and the developers actually wanted to give gifts to staff and came in with gift certificates for steakhouse and a number of things that, that, that when I said to him, this probably would not fit within the framework of this ethics policy that you're writing. Like these, some things are, he really, this was years ago, he had a difficult time with that. I think a lot of municipalities have gotten wiser around this, but I could think of recently working on a stakeholder map for the land development process. And you could do this with any process. Once you do the stakeholders and all the people that have their eyes on what's about to happen, it's not just a party coming in saying, I want to develop this piece of land. There's all these other eyes on what's going on. And so the process is in, in, in a way trying to address communication and the why of why is it you're developing that and what is the purpose and how is that going to impact your neighbors and what do the regulatory agencies have to say about that? And how does that fit within the conversations around the comprehensive plan? And it just, it's a really eye-opening experience to see exactly how many people touch that process. And then you have the person at the front desk who maybe wasn't a part of these conversations and now has to help this irate person at the front counter as to what is taking so long. Yeah, no question. It's, it's, uh, it's a bigger view and managers definitely have to recognize that bigger perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, while we're going to move on to some future challenges, but if there is anything that you have implemented over time as a manager, because your organization has grown, it's become more complex. And I wonder if there's anything you've implemented that you can point to that has helped to improve your organization 
effectiveness. Over the years, as we've added staff, I think we've been jick about trying to identify where we needed to add staff to improve the organization. One of the first things I remember when I came to East Lampeter was that there was a, in public works, again, I'm picking on public works, but there was a separation. There was the roads crew, and then there were the guys that worked on sanitary sewers. And they were considered to be all together as a public works department. They had some separation. So I didn't think that was the most effective way to operate. And we worked to change that and combined everything. And now all those employees are part of the public works department. And so they're doing different things depending upon the day. Some of them might more often than not be doing one aspect of things, but they all have to be cross-trained and able to manage situations that come up in public works. It's made a more effective use of that group of personnel. The other one that comes to mind, which I think was really big a number of years ago, was adding a finance director. And that was one of the first areas where I said, we need to do a better job here. I need somebody that's really focused on that. Created that position and that's been a tremendous help in, in keeping things running. Yes. And there was another one we talked about, which I remember just from, again, the work that we did several years back. You did not yet have an assistant township manager, and you do now. Maybe you could talk a bit about that and why that's important. Yeah, I I guess, candidly, it, it became more important the older I got. But we had grown to a point where my plate was just overflowing and I wasn't able to attend to all of the things that needed attention as much. Felt like there was this other role that needed to be filled and the best way to address those areas was to have an assistant. I think in addition to being able to hand off some projects and hand off some tasks, it's also an area to look at for succession as the organization was going to continue. Local government, in my view, it's always been a thing that needs to have a long-term view of it. East Lane Peter's been around since I think it's 1836. My my role, although everybody says, oh, you've been there for a long time. So, yeah, but in, in the overall scheme of things, really that long. There'll be change. And when that time comes, having somebody that's got a real familiarity with the community and what's going on, whether that person becomes the manager or stays in the assistant manager role or, or however that all works out when the time comes, that has had benefits to the whole community. Yes. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that uh, continuity of operations is a new mantra of my own. I think whatever you do to create appropriate redundancies is to make sure that you have the professional capability to keep the township running. And yeah, and I, and I was really fortunate to, to have Tara available and to be able to put her in the role. She's great. She's just really good at what she does. Yeah, I think you're really lucky there. I also then want to, before we we close, I want to talk about some of the future challenges. And I said to you, this is a fun part of the conversation because I just think there is so much potential that remains for the township and for the region in which you live. And uh, would you tell us a little bit about the 2015 plan that you mentioned to me that there has been for some time an outline of some pretty big projects coming for your area? Sure. Yeah. That plan is called the Lincoln Highway Streetscape Plan. And Lincoln Highway is the stretch of Route 30 that goes through East Lampeter Township. It's, a, it's not a limited access portion of Route 30. It's more of a full access sort of suburban development type corridor. It's where a lot of hotels and restaurants and the tourist attractions are and the shopping venues. And so that particular stretch is for us is our Main Street, if you will. And so try to keep that as a really vibrant place. There there are some properties in that corridor which candidly need to be redeveloped. And although we're not in in the business of private development, we can create an atmosphere where, you know, getting investors to say, yeah, this is a good place to invest and start a business or revitalize a business is something that the township can do. It started actually well before the 2015 plan was adopted. There was a county tourism plan, and then there was what they called a gateway plan. And this stretch of Lincoln Highway was identified as an important gateway for tourism. And we boiled it down to, okay, what can we do 
in this streetscape to make it more attractive, more multimodal. We wanted to get people out of cars if we could, because it is a congested area and it is the busiest transit route for the local Red Rose Transit Authority. So there are people that are using the bus, but we want to try to do more. There's a limited right of way there. The plan calls for the curb to curb width to be reduced, the reduced lane widths. We do have a lot of crashes out in that corridor that we have to respond to. And we think if we slow traffic down out there a little bit, it'll move more smoothly and with fewer crashes. We're trying to do that at the same time. There'll be a multimodal trail on the one side to try to accommodate bikes and pedestrians. So that's what we've been working on. The plan was adopted in 2015. And here we are in 2023, and there've been some small things that have been accomplished in there, but no, no real dramatic change. That dramatic, more dramatic change is about to get started probably in the next year. So there'll be major construction projects going on out in that corridor in the next year and two and three with multiple projects that have been on the drawing board and getting designed and permitted and they're ready to go forward. Funding's a huge challenge to trying to find the money to do this. We're, we're in good financial shape. That particular plan called for over $200 million worth of improvements as recommendations. And East Napier doesn't have those kinds of resources. So we had to go out and try to find resources and we've been successful. And so we're looking forward to that. The other big thing is connected to that, but also somewhat disconnected is trail systems. We did a regional park plan that was adopted a couple of years ago. And one of the things that people said during that process was, hey, we'd like to see more trails. Somewhat by coincidence, but totally it was a project, at least locally here, uh, people know what the GO path is. It's an old PennDOT right-of-way that was acquired by PennDOT back in the 70s. And they started to build a highway on it. And for some reason, I think they ran out of money or Funding changed from the federal government or went into recession. I forget what the uh, reasons were, but they just stopped. The right-of-way's been there and just been sitting there. And it ended up being called the goat path because I guess there was some grazing going on, on, on it in the years. So project was being put forward to extend a small piece of roadway called Walnut Street by local development interest. And, and at the same time, we said, well, we really ought to put a trail adjacent to that. And then where this road system is going to stop, there's still another four miles of right-of-way left. We'd like to continue that trail system. So we're working on grant funding to help us do design and construction to extend that trail system beyond where it's going to be. This fall, it'll open the first uh, Ripley mile of it. And so, yeah, we're excited about that. And I think that'll become a spine to a larger network that'll develop from there. So, yeah, it's an exciting, exciting project for us. Oh my goodness. I, I wonder if you could tell me if some of the projects fall under the infrastructure funding that's been slowly being released under the current federal administration, does some of that come down to townships and roads, trails? Not directly. We have to work through other systems to, to try to get to those funds. I don't think a lot of the infrastructure money's dropped yet. We've been trying to keep our ears open as to how we access those dollars, but a lot of the dollars that have been available, at least that we've been able to identify, have been dollars that go through the state. There are programs out there that are made available and we've applied for a lot of them and been successful in getting help and funding for projects like this. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes open for the infrastructure money as well. I remember, again, going back into the early decades of working in Lancaster, I remember specifically being in Hamden Township when Jim Martin was there and there was this big map on the wall and it basically was the highway. It, it was connect, the connector to 283 to 30, that strip. It's a monster, like an octopus with all these routes going on and off. And I remember Jim talking about the committee of municipalities that had to all pull together to work on that. And it's held up all these years, but wow, it was a real traffic. It's always been a traffic mess and a place. If you turn on traffic updates, you're going to hear about an accident somewhere there. And I think about transportation through Lancaster and wonder if there's any ambition for larger projects, not just in, for your township. Yeah, yeah, I think the the county is looking at a variety of different avenues. There was a county active transportation plan that was recently adopted 
And uh, so that's setting forth more trail systems and more uh, use of bicycles. The city has a very active program in trying to introduce their bicycle network through the city. The train station is the, the second busiest train station in Pennsylvania. It, it is used a lot, but could be used even more, I think. And there's some development planning going on around the train station now to try and grow that as well. I think the big highway type projects, they're done. Hey, we're not going to see those. They'll be right. uh, some congestion things done to better coordinate traffic signals, intersection improvements here and there, and those sorts of things. But the big changes like the one you were describing, I think was the, uh, was when the Route 30, we call the bypass, the limited access highway portion of Route 30 was being expanded basically from two lanes in both directions to three lanes, in both directions. Yeah. Jim would have been in the, in right in the middle of all of that. Those kinds of projects, I think we're done with. They might do something on 222 to grow that. And there is some planning that I've heard about and some projects to expand 222, but that, that interchange there, 222 and 30 is a real challenge. So that might be the very last of the big highway projects in Lancaster County. Yeah. I'm just curious how they will address the train station. That's a great point. But to get to the train station is the question. And I like the idea of, of cycling paths, but even other alternative connectors. I wonder if you imagine a future Lancaster might look like it with a, if you were to, I'd like to think cars are not going to be quite the same in the next decade that again with the infrastructure spending we might come up with some ways to address the challenges around traffic and accidents Anything else that you have in your mind when you think about the future of transportation in Lancaster yeah I think technology is going to have a big impact on on transportation and hopefully making it safer continuing to make it safer and avoiding the kinds of crashes that we have. What'll, what'll Lancaster County will still be horse and buggies and clip-clopping around, especially on the eastern portions of Lancaster County. So I, I don't see that changing, but I do hope that as people are able, as we develop some more affordable housing in the right places, people will be able to live and walk to work or bike to work or make it a shorter trip than it is now and that don't have to drive as much. Or be able to jump on the bus more easily than they can now to get from place to place. So I think those kinds of multimodal opportunities are going to be there. Uh, the kinds of development are going to change where it's going to be more of a mixed use development activity. And I think that'll change how transportation works as well. It's an exciting field and Lancaster is definitely a place to watch. And I think because it's been given such a, such, you know, high marks in livability that it can't afford to miss this opportunity that I think is coming in the next decade. I wonder, just thinking about these surrounding municipalities coming together to work on some of these big projects, let's just say transportation. Do you have any thoughts or advice based on your past experience with managing change? How is it that you bring together municipalities to address something that is really not like you can't see it, but it's possible? Yeah. Yeah. What do they say? It has to be believed before it can be seen. Most of the time, it's just being willing to reach out, being willing to be open to collaboration and understanding that solving a lot of these issues are well beyond municipal boundaries. So it's all approaches or Countywide approaches or even larger regions sometimes have to be considered into how problems get solved. You have to be willing to open those conversations and recognize that not everybody will see a problem in the same way or see a solution in the same way. Most of the time they have to be analyzed thoroughly. I can't even count the number of times I've said, this is a problem. This is how I think we can solve it. And then when you deep dive into it a little more deeply, you figure out, oh, it wasn't going to work. We have to come at it from a different direction. Ideas can come from anywhere. If they come from within or from the neighboring municipality, they're still good ideas. I'm trying, just trying to work together on a regular basis on little things, hopefully hopes to can grow into solving things on a bigger scale. And I think that's what residents expect and they really want their local officials to work with neighboring local officials and find solutions to common problems. I think the motivation is there. You just have to look for those opportunities. Yeah. 
What I like about what you just said is that the emphasis really is around the engagement, not necessarily coming in with the best solution because the, right. the, the ideas could come from anywhere. And the other part that, that interests me, and I've been thinking and writing about design thinking, like, and particularly human-centered design thinking, because it really does take into account what the experience is of the people who live in the area. And it blends that analytical thinking. So it says, yeah, the analytical thinking is very important, but it's equally important to be imaginative enough to say, this is something that we've not done before. And so there's no reason why we should not explore some ideas that are, uh, as we used to say, or still say sometimes out of the box. But even more than that, it's building on some of that analysis. So analyzing, oh yeah, this is something we all agree is something we'd like to change. And then moving from there. So the both the imagination and, and the analysis, I think is, it's so interesting around transportation because the technology is just coming up and it's like, you just want to stay on that cusp so that you don't miss the opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there is rapid change as well. You know, what that means sometimes is you have to accept doing something quickly that fairly rapidly might be old school. Okay. We tried this and it worked just fine, but now there's something even better. And we've got to look at that and how we can apply that to the new situation. So it's a constant effort and reevaluation and effort again. Yeah. Yeah. That's the iteration and not, like you said, I like the idea of a pilot. If there was a township that everybody said, okay, this is a township that's ripe to try this particular idea. And if it works, well, as you said, I like the metaphor you used of a spine, that when you find a project that works well within that community, that you build on that. And that is a, again, I just think Lancaster has so much potential in this regard because the, of the history of, and we didn't even talk about that. And when I think about Lancaster, I think about when Lancaster was founded, it was a place where different religious groups live together and there was a grounding for that we live together here and we have to find ways to live together. And you yeah, without a doubt. And that's still part of Lancaster, big part of Lancaster County. Before we go, I'm asking all of, all of the managers I've been interviewing if there's any other shout outs. You mentioned Michael Keefe. I'm glad you, you did. Is there anyone else now that you think are standouts in the field that, that you might just recognize and maybe it's somebody that, that we might talk to in the future for ideas in the community. Now, most of the managers that I've become closest to are all either retired or retiring. Oh. But again, as I said before, you know, all the managers that I've had contact with, I've, and maybe I've just been really fortunate, but they're all doing good stuff in their communities and working yeah. hard and willing to help and willing to ask questions and willing to try things as they're faced with them. There's a lot, really, a lot of really good people doing really good work. So. Fair statement. That's the way I would answer that. I appreciate so much that you came on today and shared a little bit about your world and we Although have, don't always have a chance to talk frequently, it's always a pleasure. And I do see you at the professional conferences from time to time. And it is good to drill down a little bit with what's going on in your world. So thank you so much. Glad to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to further conversation. Okay. See Me too. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.